Good morning, and you are listening to The Grapevine. I'm Nikki Wooding, and I'm with my co-host, my man Giannis Banks. How are you doing, sir? Oh, I'm, I'm doing all right. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. It's pre-Friday. <laughs> oh, <laughs> come on, Saturday. Okay. Well, also, unfortunately, the end of Women's History Month. Every month is Women's History Month. What are you talking about? I like that. I like that. But, yeah, it's coming to a close. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. I feel like this year is going by so, I don't know, fast, but yet so slow. Do you feel that way? Or is it just me? I don't feel like it's going slow. No? No. Okay. I, I think there's always something new, something crazier happening each month. So it's like, come on. Mm. Can we? Can we? What's happening here? I know. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on, and we'll get to that in the show, of course. But before we get into any stories, you know what? We got to remind our people where to find us outside of here. So just want to give you all some social media reminders real quick. If you got your phone with you, if you're LinkedIn on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, guess what? You can find us on there. So check us out on Facebook and Instagram. We're at The Grapevine Talk. And on Twitter, we're The Grapevine ATX, like Austin, Texas. So like ATX is where we are. Also, we have the podcast platforms as well. Right. So we're on a couple of platforms now. And I mean, we're growing. So we're on Podbean, Google yep. Podcasts, mm-hmm. iHeartRadio, yep. Spotify, yep. FM Player, mm-hmm. Pandora, mm-hmm. TuneIn, Listen Notes, and I guess Apple Podcasts is coming soon, right? Yeah, we're still working with them. They we're having a disagreement about picture pixels. Uh uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, they're right down the street. Can we not just take it to the place? The they, don't wanna, they don't. They don't want me to show up there. They don't want to show up. Oh, okay. At, at, at this point, no. Okay. Well, you know, of course, like what I just talked about with Women's History Month coming to a close, there was some cool stuff coming out of your own water. What's up? Yes, good old Texas State University. They produce some of the highest paid women in the country. That's the country, not the state, not the county. You know, the, the country. Oh, shebang. I, I would argue From the coast world. Coast. Oh, okay. I'd say the world, but whatever. And truthfully, if you've ever been to Texas State and seen people walk the stairs to the library, them women better be making money after all them steps. But forget out the, just the stairs. Y'all on them hills over there at Texas State was, was real. We used to have cheerleading camp out there. Mm-hmm. And that hills going across your campus? Yep. Oh my goodness, that is a workout. It's been the downfall of many people, especially freshmen on orientation day. Is that figuratively or literally? Both. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It, it's um, I used to write tickets, parking tickets on that campus, and so I would work freshman orientation. So it was him, guys, when you uh, got that ticket. I mean, if I knew you, you might have been okay. Oh. And I've seen many who show up trying to look fly, wearing heels and things, walking downhill to the admin building, coming back uphill. A recipe for failure. Shoes are off. They're dragging behind their parent. They... I go make it like yo you, you you didn't know right welcome to the hill country also shout out to your school yes I, that is an awesome feat uh, you know especially for a university to provide that kind of tool belt yes. to women to allow them to be in a higher paying role because you know we just had women's equal pay day mm-hmm. and these are women under 40 by the way i should say right and so you know we just had women's equal pay day yep. and it's important mm-hmm. that women of course 
course, get their due respect, not only as far as titles, but as far as compensation as well. Yeah, they're making bank, man. It says uh, the graduates in accounting, healthcare, and marketing go on to earn 126000 on average. Wow. This is according to the Education and Workforce Data website. Stepping blocks. Top employers for these graduates are USAA, mm-hmm. Dell, and a consulting firm, Deloitte. Ah, Deloitte. Yes. Okay. So a lot of that is kind of close by. Right. Well, Uh, Deloitte, they're all over the country. Right. They have offices everywhere. But yeah, that's really great. They're in these high income earning jobs. Also in respected companies. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, go Texas State. You be equipping these women. I say send your kids there and just make sure they focus because... I ain't sending their kids there. They're going to Prairie View. Send your kids there if you want them to make a good living. Send send your kids to Prairie View if you want to be productive. But not make a good living. Meanwhile, guess what? Y'all are busy. Austin is busy. Mm -hmm. I mean... Have you been to the airport lately? (laughs) Actually, yeah. I came back on Monday from the airport. Oh. Let me tell you. (laughs) Right. I was like, huh? So... The airport, the lines for TSA are ridiculous. So if you are flying out of Austin's airport, make sure you have enough time to prepare for that TSA line. Last weekend, we had a lot going on here in Austin. We had Texas Relays going on. They had a NASCAR event going on. I believe there was something else I'm forgetting, something big that happened. Yeah, there there was um, the NASCAR. I think there was a uh, golf. There you go. Golf. The Dell. Is that the Dell match play? Yes. Okay. So, and we probably had some people left over from South by Southwest. I don't know. But nonetheless, the line for TSA was outside the airport, y'all. I mean, down the side of the airport, they had people standing outside to get through TSA. Mm -hmm. And people, of course, were complaining about missing flights and connections and things of that nature. And even leaving their cars in the drop-off area. The rental cars. Right. In the drop-off area so that they can go ahead and catch their flight. Yeah. I mean, it's that extreme. There is definitely folks who were bragging if they had the pre-check because they didn't have that weight. And I think there were some folks who overheard that over at the airport as they was walking past those long lines. When I touched down, I didn't see them. Then again, I wasn't looking for them either. I was trying to get my bag and get to my car and be out. So I wasn't paying attention to none of that. But they have websites and apps you can use that you can see the wait time of the check-in, uh, the security lines. So that can give you kind of an idea of how long the wait's going to be. It's aus.tsa.inside, but it has two I's in the beginning. So iinside.com. Also, Austin Airport, they did put out a statement and they did say that the high volume times or peak travel periods are Thursdays, Fridays, Sundays, and Mondays before 8 o'clock a.m. Because, for instance, this Sunday before 8 o'clock a.m., they process 8,965 passengers just before 8 a.m. And then on Monday before 8, they did another 8,500 passengers at that time. So what I'm saying is make sure you have enough time. I know that the airport is going through an expansion period right now. They're trying to stay on schedule or try to expedite those improvements that they have. They're behind schedule on some of the stuff they're supposed to be doing, supposed to have been done. Uh, They are a little behind. Well, in their statement, they say they are continuing to expedite terminal improvements. Yeah. 
yep. through their expansion program. So oh. they're they're trying to expedite where they're at. Right. But they are also asking to plan ahead, arrive early, and show kindness to airport and airline staff who are working hard to get you safely to your destination. Yeah, acting a fool isn't going to help anybody. Right. Um, you're not going to move any faster by throwing a tantrum or whatever. It may just get you kicked out the airport and you really miss your flight. And so, yeah, be respectful. Get there early. As they say, yeah, they are going to be hiring some more people and they're going to do some more expansion and it's going to take some time. You're going to see a lot more cranes going up and around Austin, whether it's downtown or outside. So I know. I mean, it's growing daily, but there is a little bad news with this story. Austin Airport is experiencing a fuel shortage due to the number of flights scheduled and a lack of fuel supply available. So arriving flights are landing with extra fuel in the event there isn't enough for them to fill up at the airport. And currently they're operating with two to three days worth of fuel supply, whereas other airports, they operate with five to seven days. There hasn't been an update regarding that that I've seen yet, but just Plan ahead. Right. So basically, you're saying the airport is BYOF. Oh, uh, yeah. Pretty Bring much. Bring your own fuel. Pretty gotcha. much. Okay. Yeah. But also, when you're traveling, there's new CDC guidelines. Hey. And, and good news, there are no new destinations added to the highest risk category. What does that mean? There's no new places that we can't go to. Hey. For us that haven't traveled in a couple of months, I guess I have traveled a little bit, but... I will say there's a lot more that I want to do. And I think I can speak for many. We're ready to get out the house. We're ready to get out the state. And for a lot of us, we're ready to get out the country. Hopefully, people can start getting out a little bit more. But there's still destinations on these lists. Yeah. So so check them out. I know. that I was about to go into the the places that are still on the list. But you can go to the CDC website. They're all listed on there. There's way too many for me to see here on the list. Right, because there's different levels and there's different levels. Right. Different things. And so check them out. And then you can make up your own mind about where you want to go, if you want to go. And see if your spot is still a risk spot. Or maybe it's dropped a little. I I don't know. But this ties in with the city of Austin. What's um, going on? Austin Public Health, they streamlined their guidelines. Oh, we did? Of new CDC, I guess, restrictions, updates, requirements, what have you. Mm-hmm. Before, we've had the category 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, or stage 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, whatever mm-hmm. it was. It's now down to 3. Oh, yay. So, low, medium, high. Okay. Oh, wait. So, we're changing. We're, we're no longer doing 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. We're, right. we're like a microwave, low, medium, high. Low, okay. medium, high. And they even, you know, they got it broken down by gatherings, dining, shopping. If you're vaccinated, your vaccines are up to date or if you're at risk, the kind of levels of where you are and what it means. And so, you can okay. go to Austin Public Health's website to see the different levels. Okay. Um, we're still not clear from this but they you know we're moving in the right direction and so they wanted to change that up a little bit so let them go let the people move around a little bit more but still to be careful about covid is what they're saying because when we relaxed last time we kind of got back to where we just we left mm-hmm. right so so yeah so if you are coming to austin again our tips for today plan ahead ask for the airport so when you tell your airport, I mean, your shuttle staff to get you to the airport, make sure you have enough time. But also make sure you check out the mandates. We're low, medium, high. And where are we again? We're in low. Okay, we're in low. So don't forget your mask because we still do that. We still do wear them in Texas. I don't know what y'all heard, but we still wear We still do wear them. Yeah. <sighs> That's a lot for the beginning. It is. <laughs> but there's more. There's more. Good wait. 
I know because you know I love Austin. I love being here in the mix as the city grows. I think I don't think I've been in a city like that's growing at this rate. It's just so much happening, like right now, which is of course why our airport is expanding.、Mm. But nonetheless, we're getting a new amusement park. Yes. Yay! Exciting news. We are getting a new amusement park near the Circuit of the Americas. I haven't been over there yet, but I guess that's where they do the Formula One racing,、mm-hmm. right? Right. They are bringing, of course, NASCAR. Or no, they brought. They brought NASCAR, and they also do music concerts out there. Many folks have gone out there for concerts. There's fireworks that they do for Fourth of July as well,、mm-hmm. and they do their own kind of Christmas winter theme drive-through. Right, right. This、uh, amusement park is set to open next year. Whoa! They're gonna move fast. I see. I mean, can we get the airport on the same schedule? That's their plan, but I can tell you, materials are still hard to find and workers. So you know, yo, if they can make it happen, good luck to them. Right. They will offer thirty plus rides and two mega coasters. One of them will be the first of its kind in the country, and it'll be an amusement park to rival any other. That's from the circuit of the Americas chairman Bobby Epstein. You probably have gone out there and have seen like a Ferris wheel, some carousels, zip lining, because that's what they currently offer over there at the kitty park. Right. But they're expanding, so that's not it. Wait, there's more. Get ready, Austin. We're getting an amusement park. Yay! Okay. Since we're on the topic of amusement parks, I gotta get into this story because I saw the video and I was just shocked. There was a young man, 14 years old. His name was Tyree Sampson,、mm-hmm. and he was riding a ride over in Orlando called Freefall. You know those rides that take you up to the top and they drop you? Right. Okay. The employees claimed that they checked all the harnesses and safety equipment before everybody went up. I guess there's some kind of light on the seats that indicates whether it's complete or not.、Okay. Nonetheless. They claimed they checked the harnesses and everybody was okay. On the video, however, you can hear one of the employees yelling at somebody, saying, "Your seatbelt! Your seatbelt!" Whatever. Nonetheless, the ride goes up, and you know how it slowly ascends and goes to the top.、Mm-hmm. Then it comes down, and as it's coming down, the young man's seatbelt comes off, and he flies out of his seat and he hits the ground. And they take him to the、uh, hospital, and he died from his injuries there.、Mm-hmm. He was actually up with a football program out there、mm-hmm. in Orlando, so his family found out through these viral videos. Yeah, that had to be hard. Right,、um, right. So the the family has hired, of course, famed attorney Benjamin Crump. He's representing them and trying to get some insight about what's going on or, or what happened, I should say, to their son. They've also asked for another ride, the Slingshot, that's out there in Orlando, to be shut down as they await to go under inspection. Because since they're new rides, they only go through it through the first six months.、So、they've only been through one in- inspection, and what they're asking the city of Orlando to do. Is to force them to go under another inspection to ensure these rides are safe. It's just tragic all the way around. Of course, it's a 14-year-old young man. Ironically, before he went up, though, Giannis he said to his friends he was scared, and to, if he doesn't make it back down, tell his mom and dad that he loves him. Those rides are meant to scare you, right? Right. That, that thrill in there, but that is not what is supposed to happen. Right. It's crazy that I think people have seen at least videos of the slingshot on social media、yes. or YouTube of folks, you know, passing out in the whole night and losing their wigs. I'm sorry,、right. that was、yep. a funny one. No, they lose their wigs. They just 
are screaming, yelling, and, and you know, pass out, wake up, screaming, right. yelling, pass out, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's why they show them because folks are getting a kick out of them. But right. the fact that they are not inspected that frequent, that's problematic because right. of the risk that's involved in these rides of being shot up and swung down and, and the whole night. So right. uh, I was in Florida when this happened. Actually, really? Yeah, this happened, I think, this past weekend, and that's when I was That's right. You down were in Florida. There. Mm-hmm. And you so, were okay, but you weren't at this uh, right. amusement park. Right? No, I wasn't. I was in Fort Lauderdale. I wasn't gotcha. in, in Orlando. It's was sad to read about and sad to hear. I hadn't seen the video, and truthfully, I didn't want to see the video mm-hmm. because of how folks were like, "You can see it happen." I'm like, "I'm good. Yeah. I, don't, I don't. I don't want to see that." It was. A, it was. A, it was a lot. And the amusement park, they've already responded in saying that he was possibly overweight to be on the ride. Have you seen a picture of him? He's a stocky football player, but. But whose responsibility was to ensure his safety? Because was how did he know, of course, about the weight limits? How was he supposed to know that the safety harness wouldn't work? You're right. I believe that it was their responsibility to, one, not only ensure that he was safely secured, but also that he met the standards that were already put in the manual for the weight limits. It's going to be something to hear the legal arguments that the amusement park is going to try to make. Right. Court of public opinion probably already has thoughts around it. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have to be careful with what they say when they make the arguments. Mm-hmm. We've seen examples, and I can't think of any right now, unfortunately, of when folks have tried to defend themselves, or companies or what have you, tried to defend themselves and be like, yo, you're extra insensitive with what you're doing right now. So it's going to be hard. Our prayers and thoughts goes out to that family, uh, his teammates who saw it happen. I know. And truthfully, I think anybody who was there and saw it happen, they're going to be dealing with some kind of trauma. Right. And I'm hoping help was provided to the those who were there who needed it Mm. because that's a hard sight to see right right so let's go around the world you know that the war is still going on in ukraine and i think we've dedicated ourselves to keeping y'all updated keeping this conversation going so that we can make sure that we know what's going on we don't want to fall prey to any propaganda out there did you hear about this the russian billionaire that was um poisoned yeah and i only wish i could say i was surprised right when i saw it i was like that sounds very Russia-like. Yeah, so Russian billionaire Roman Abramovich, he suffered symptoms of suspected poisoning at peace talks on the Ukraine-Belarus border earlier this month. So he's actually the owner of the Chelsea Football Club. He's now recovering, but he reportedly had suffered sore eyes and peeling skin. The two other Ukrainian peace negotiators Mm -hmm. also said that they have been affected as well. One report is saying that this was orchestrated by Russians who wanted to sabotage those talks. Of course, I don't believe that they would admit to anything. No, no. (laughs) You know, of course. Shortly after the allegations emerged, an unnamed U.S. official was quoted by Rutgers as saying that the intelligence suggested that the men's symptoms were actually due to environmental factors, not poisoning. So we already got two stories. If you want to include probably the Russian version, there's three. Mm -hmm. And then we have what the truth is. Who's to say? But they believe that they were poisoned. There's a history there. Oh, yeah. With this being an agent that's used to attack. Oh, yeah. Rivals or people that speak against 
the propaganda, I guess. Is that the right? Maybe. Those who speak out against the government. Correct. And if, really, if he's speaking out against Putin. Right. There's That's been true. many of his, he would call them enemies. Others may say more vocal critics. Mm-hmm. There's been many who have that either had been poisoned to death or poisoned and, you know, like these folks, it was caught and survived. So... It wasn't surprising, I think, to a lot of people when that story came out. I think a lot of folks probably had that. Yeah, I can see that. Right. Speaking of Russian oligarchs, there was another oligarch. His name is Mikhail Friedman. He is complaining right now because he can't use his ATM card and his accounts are blocked. This, of course, is due to the many companies that have canceled their affiliation or Russian access, if you will, to their companies and banking systems. Friedman, he founded the largest private bank in Russia and was placed on both the EU and UK sanctions list following the invasion of Ukraine. Now, while the billionaire is pretty private and he doesn't have any connections with the president, the EU says he's an enabler in Putin's inner circle. Yeah, well, they got information on folks. And this is kind of what the intentions or this is what the intentions of the sanctions were for folks who are in his inner circle who have that influence of it to feel the pain, if you will. Right, right. Um, They talked about how he was born in Ukraine and was one of the first oligarchs to speak out against the war, but he wouldn't criticize Putin. Right. So they put these sanctions on them and we'll see what happens. The sooner this stuff wraps up, I think, you know, some kind of normalcy they can go back to over there. But until then, it's going to be a hard time for a lot of people. It's a lot, a real hard time for a lot of the Russians who are in Russia who may not have had his status. And so that's all I got. Like, like <laughs> sucks for him. I don't know. Right. It, right. I mean, honestly, that I mean, it just shows that it's working. Now, I don't think he's the first oligarch that has complained about his lack of access to his funds and things of that nature. I do say that we, as U.S. citizens, first of all, have questioned whether it would be effective the way that it's being handled. And and obviously, in some ways, it is. Speaking of which... Real quick, just to add to that, because he's not exactly penniless either. Right. Um, Yeah, that's what we said. uh, Yeah. He he did get the $3,000? Huh? Uh, He gets $3,000 a month? For what? His allowance? Yeah. Right. Okay. Now, over the weekend, I guess I missed this one. But when I turned the news on, it was everywhere. Did you hear Biden this weekend when he made the comment about Putin? Yeah. You did? Okay. So he was in Europe Mm -hmm. and he was ad-libbing this closing lines about Vladimir Putin in a speech that he delivered. And at the end, he says, for God's sake, this man cannot remain in power. Right? Right. So he came back on Monday and some people say that he kind of watered it down. Other people say that he doubled down. I guess it's up to the person how that's interpreted. He says, I'm not walking anything back. I was expressing the moral outrage that I feel and I make no apologies for it. So he's making it clear that he was like, look, I said what I said. He also said that Putin cannot be allowed to exercise power over his neighbors or the region. He was not discussing Putin's power in Russia or regime change. So he was clarifying exactly what he meant because I guess it was taken that Putin should be off in some way 
right? Or be removed from his position as president. What he was saying is, okay, let me clarify. He can remain president. I don't care what he does, but he can't mess with everybody in this region to take or assert control. Another White House came out and tried to clarify that was well what he said. And so I think... Uh, he echoed the sentiments of a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I think as we've talked about it, it is a touchy subject, or maybe not touchy, but a, it's not a simple subject. It's, it's very, well, it's complicated. That's what I wanted to say. Mm-hmm. It's a complicated issue and subject because of, you know, the enemy you know is better than the enemy you don't know, right? Mm-hmm. You don't know who is going to come after Putin. And by saying he should be removed, what could happen? Will it be worse? Will it be better? That's what a lot of people are are worried about. And, of course, I think folks understand that. And, yeah, he said what he wanted to say. And Mm -hmm. Yep, he did. We're moving forward. Right. Since we're on the topic of Joe Biden, he is doing some things domestically. So don't just think that he's overseas trying to support Ukraine. But he also signed a bill into law on Tuesday that makes lynching a federal hate crime. If you're not familiar with that, that was the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act. Of course, it's named after the 14-year-old black boy in Chicago. He was brutally murdered by a group of white men in Mississippi for allegedly whistling at a white woman. That was back in 1955. This bill is supposed to acknowledge how racial violence has left a lasting scar on the nation and asserts that these crimes are not a relic of a bygone era. Right. Anti-lynching legislation has been attempted to be passed at least 200 times mm-hmm. previous, and it's failed. And so it shouldn't have taken that many times for this to happen. Right. Now, it was passed with a lot of bipartisan support, mm-hmm. mostly bipartisan support. Mostly. The Senate, they did approve it unanimously mm-hmm. via voice vote. Okay. The House, everybody was for except for three Republicans. Mm-hmm. Andrew Clyde of Georgia, Tom Massey of Kentucky, and Texas doesn't like to be left out of anything. So Chip Roy of Texas, who actually comes into the Austin area, his district comes into the Austin area, if I remember correctly. So I'm just saying, these are the three people who were against anti-lynching bill for some odd reason. Of course, the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund and the National Urban League were also praising the signing of the bill. You know, this bill, anti-lynching legislation, has been introduced to the United States Congress more than 200 times. And Tuskegee University, they provided some insight on some records that they've collected. 4,743 people were lynched from 1882 to 1968, and 3,446 of them were black. So just to give you, like, clarity how targeted lynching has been toward the black community, Mm -hmm. majority of the lynchings that have been reported, we'll put it that way, Mm -hmm. has been targeted toward the black community. And that's just when they stopped keeping track. Remember, it still kept going. We've had some as recent, many would say, what, last year or two years ago? Right. Uh, Aubrey, of course, Texas has its history with James Byrd. You know, the list can go on and on. This is... Like, I think the president was saying, this is not a crime of the past. Mm-hmm. This stuff is still happening. Right. This law was needed. It shouldn't have taken 200 tries to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And we can move forward now and have some federal protection behind that as well. Right. Since we're on the topic of Emmett Till, I will say that there is a new opera that is focused or centered around the life of Emmett Till. It's called Emmett Till, A New American Opera. And the composer is Mary D. Watkins, who is a pianist. 
it sounds like a wonderful idea for a play. But currently on change.org, there are 12,000 signatures and counting calling for the opera to never see the light of day. And the reason because the lady that kind of conceived or wrote this play is Claire Koss, who is a white woman. There was a great interview about why she felt this was important and it needed to be out there. But a lot of the criticism is saying that the white woman that was a part of the initial incident, they're saying that it, it was fictitious and it does include a fictitious white woman in the story. They say that she sees what happens, but she never intervenes. But by the end of the play, she's telling her students about the atrocity and what happened. What they're saying is a black person is going through traumatic incident and a white person sees it, yet they're not doing anything. And they're putting this on display. Should that be more of a discussion in the play that that isn't the norm and that's not what she should do? What is the exact way to handle that? I'm interested. I would love to see it because I don't. I think that they're doing more of like at high schools or something like that. I don't think it's really. It's on Broadway. From ticket sales, a portion of it will go to the Emmett Till Legacy Fund, and they're selling out. So we'll see. I, I think it's one of the times where people are reaching right with this reaction. Even Miss Cost when she talked about her play, and of course Mary. Watkins, who she's black. She's black. Who right. the, the who wrote this one, the Emmett Till, A New America Opera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she brought in parts of Mrs. Coss's uh, opera, right? Correct. Coss even gave the reason, like you were saying, of why she wrote it. Mm-hmm. She said, "I just felt he had been lost to white history. I had this spiritual mandate because I don't know where else it came from." Mm-hmm. And you talked about how the the teacher saw it and was telling her students about it. And she says, "While the Miss Cost said while the opera is intended for everyone, she feels the inclusion of that sort of character is important for predominantly white opera going audiences to see." Now, this is not that play or not that opera she wrote. This is that combination. Well, she's talking about the one she wrote. The one that's being done is a combination, uh, if you will, of the two, right? Mm-hmm. And part of what she even said is that somebody had basically had once told her was that black people don't like other people writing their stories. Mm-hmm. Black people walk a different road. Right. We'll never understand it, which I've heard many people say many times. Right, but also cost the, the white lady that was involved with the original. She has sided with them to an extent. She's saying that the white silent character represents the context of white supremacy in which the world of violence and terror is enabled. And she said it's disturbing that critics have not seen or heard the work in question. And yeah. they're taking sides about this sto- about this play and this show without ever setting foot into the auditorium to see it for themselves. Right. And there's been many artists of color involved into this opera. And so I, I think folks are getting upset because they want to get upset. Mm. They're looking for something to be upset about. Right. I say give this thing a chance. Let's see what it is. Mm-hmm. And you get your feelings and your thoughts from that, not from what you think this may look and sound like. Right. Or in my mind, this is how I picture it. Yo, it was a collaboration between folks. Let's go for it. See what's about. If it's educating and informing people who didn't know about his story, and there are many who don't. Right. If it helps bring that story to more light, mm-hmm. and people are informed and educated about it. I can't call that a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, I see where you're coming from. I get it. I think that, again, in order to criticize, you need to be in the auditorium. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah, man, it's time to get into it and talk about the Supreme Court nomination confirmation hearing and, you know, what's next for that. Right. It's funny how many text messages I receive. When is she going to be confirmed? When is she going to be confirmed? And that she, of course, we're talking about is Judge Katanji Brown Jackson. Of course, remember last week she went through grueling questioning before the Senate, but the confirmation for Miss Jackson should be before the break which is April 11th. Mm-hmm. They're expecting about next week, quite possibly, that she could be confirmed. To remind you, she is replacing Justice Byers. He will not retire until after the session is over. Again, that's not until June, July. Then that means she will not join the court until the next session, which doesn't begin until the fall. So she'll be joining the bench in October. Let's keep that in mind because we're all excited. We saw her just gracefully handle some awkward moments, mm-hmm. <laughs> to say the least, in the Senate. I'm excited to see how she's going to handle herself on the court, which I know will be with elegance and grace as she did before the Senate. She's doing more senator visits mm-hmm. uh, this week, and Senator Manchin has come out and said that he will be voting for her. So that clears a hurdle right, um, from her. So if she picks up any Republican votes, uh, she'll put her over 50 votes. Mm-hmm. Uh, if not, of course, Vice President Harris is there to cast a tie-breaking vote. And so come on, sis. it should happen. Shouldn't be a problem mm-hmm. um, as this is moving forward. And it, it, it's, you know, as, as Senator Booker and others said last week, you know, the, the, nobody's going to steal their job. I know there's folks who are definitely proud to see this happening. Uh I think even as you mentioned, all the text messages you were getting, there's a lot of folks who her being on the bench and how she carried herself touched them in personal ways. Mm -hmm. You saw her crying over what Senator Booker was saying. Booker was crying. Other folks were crying who were watching it because of, I think, like he said, the language that they were talking, those two got it. And it wasn't just those two who got it. It was many black people who got what they were saying and this, what that sentiment and what this moment was meaning. And I think that it was a reminder because sometimes no matter where you are in life, I don't care if you're in the ups, the downs, the highs, the lows, you need somebody there that's going to cheer you on. And for Cory Booker to remind her she's worthy, that was a moment. Mm-hmm. And not just saying you're worthy on paper, like you deserve to be here. Right. You're you know, worthy. I um, see you. Right. And I don't think that the black community, we hear that enough. Hmm. Sometimes we just feel like we're just enough Hmm. or we're barely skimming the surface of the qualifications to be there. But even to remind, I don't care what listener you're hearing my voice right now, you are worthy. And I think that if something was put on her heart and she's placed in this position, it wasn't by chance. It was ordained. Right. I and mean, yeah. To even help paint that picture is you had former President Trump who was talking about how she was acting rude oh, to yeah. these senators who was only asking her very nice questions. Right. And asking her very nicely. So it, it paints that picture of how folks will see you. Right. Uh, in particular, how people will see black women when they are being strong and standing up for themselves. And she was not being rude in any shape of the word. I know, but he likes to play off on stereotypes. And right. he knows the stereotypical angry black moment is what the lingo is. Mm-hmm. And so he was trying to appeal to his base and try to use that stereotype to attack her right. and use that as a means to justify why they believe that black women are angry. And we're not. We're assertive maybe sometimes, but it doesn't mean we're angry. I don't know. I mean, 
he's exhausting in itself, but we're about to get into Trump in just a minute. Even during these confirmations, a lot of conversation was going on with Justice Clarence Thomas. You know, he was in the hospital for almost a week, but he was released from the hospital and he participated in arguments at the Supreme Court. He did that via telephone rather than in person on Monday, of course, following that hospital stay. He didn't provide a reason why. I don't know if that's required or not, but he is back to fulfilling his role just so virtually. Oh, what? Happy he's doing fine. Right, I'm happy he's doing good. I, I you wish know. ill on nobody. Mm-hmm. You ain't gonna have that on my conscience and my spirit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I do think there needs to be some oversight over the court. Okay, uh, well, I guess I know the oversight is gonna probably come in into our next story uh, okay. as far as with his wife. Another thing that people are saying is that there should be some type of age limit because in some courts in some states, there is an age limit. For instance, 70 years old is the age limit and either you can retire before then or you can age out of the court. They're saying that there shouldn't be, quote unquote, the lifetime appointment. It should just go into a maximum age and then at that point they age out. If it, of course, were 70, Justice Thomas and Justice Alito would exceed over that and so that they would be kind of pushed out of the court. Yeah, I don't think I'm in the camp of putting an age limit on there. Why? I think it's a great idea. I I think there's some volume in about the experience that they would have, so... I'm not in the age limit camp. I, I'm, I'm. And see, I'm the exact opposite. I am in the age limit camp. I have seen it be effective in Maryland, for instance. That is the rule out there for sure. their courts. If you think about it, at age 70, you're two generations away from the litigants that are in your courtroom. And there may be some things in those two generations that have happened that may be very different from your experiences growing up at that age. And that I hate to say it like this, but the technology, some of the lingo, our media sources and things of that nature that has completely changed and so what does that mean as far as understanding someone's criminal mindset what does that mean as far as far as understanding intent also when you get up in age of course other physical and cognitive ailments start and that begins at that age group I think, like I said, it's a kind of an opportunity for the court to kind of reset itself, to put themselves in the trajectory to be able to provide their constituents adequate justice with those that are more in align with them socially and are prepared to adjudicate these issues. Sure, but the part of that court isn't supposed to be about worried about the social alignment, right? Because they're supposed to interpret the law and they can look into it and they have their clerks well, social to help out with in. that, right? And so if they have to help into the assistance that's there, I, I think if you want to include a health test for them to see how they're doing, like we do with the president, if you want to include that for them, I would be okay with that and say, okay, let's see if your cognitive, mental cognitive is still working, if you're still sharp as a tag, your facilities still good i have no problem with that instead of just saying okay you're old move out the way i don't necessarily like that uh, well no and and i think that you just brought up something from the social standpoint yes that's important because that's it helps that that determines how they interpret facts for instance with 
Judge Katani Brown Jackson with her nomination hearings that she had. One of the questions that they were constantly bringing up was about the child pornography issue. And she was saying that, hey, when y'all passed this legislation, people were doing it via mail and, you know, giving them like CDs and everything to one another that could only contain a certain number of images. Now we have different platforms such as social media, we have internet, we have different ways where people have more access to these images which increases the threshold but necessary but not necessarily the volume of it is the issue it is okay how do we sentence these people based on the guidelines that you have passed the volume could be due to hey i clicked the site and i just uploaded these pictures is that the same thing as i got one picture in the mail what does that look like and that's why I'm saying that the social standards have to be interpreted correctly so they can ensure that sentencing and things of that nature are happening that is in alignment with where we are as a society. Sure. I, th- I think that works for the lower courts. I think for... Well, that's not the lower courts. That was for the for, um, appellate court. Right. Well, to me, when I say lower courts, I mean lower than the Supreme Court, right? So I would say that works l- better for the lower courts. But for the Supreme Court, I don't think that one passed necessarily the same way. They're going to have... The clerks that's going to help them out they're going to have folks you know making their arguments and the facts of the case that was put before the cases that were tried i think if they're still mentally sharp i don't have a problem with it once again you can test them to see how their facilities are their faculties are if they're still sharp there's been a decrease if they've been a decline if their health is waning then yeah i can see that i think if they're still able to function and they have that experience and they can help still mentor some folks who are coming up i think that's one of the things that benefits Justice Brown is that she clerked for Buyer, right? right? And that's one of the things they highlighted of who he is, how he's been in his line of thought. I don't have a problem with it. Like I said, I, I can understand if folks are worried about their mental faculties and we can test them to see how that's going or worried about their health so we can see how that's going because you, you don't necessarily want them to die in office. Right. Like RBJ. So you can have that and, and others. I don't want to just single her out. So I, I, I think it's also became so politicized and, and, and maybe it's because I was young so I didn't see it when I was a kid. I don't think there's been a time that this has been so politicized when it comes to picking the Supreme Court justice and it's where we are now. I mean but it's always been politicized. Politicized I think this it's it's more extreme to this to where it is now. I think, I think there's just we have different more forms of media mm-hmm. and we have different abilities to have these conversations versus what we had before, which is again going to what I was saying as how society has evolved and saying that a seventy year old necessarily understands how we're having conversations on Twitter or understands how things are uploaded or understand how the cloud works might not be the case. I'm in IP, for instance. These are the only courts, these appellate courts, are the only courts that we can go to regarding some of these issues that are going on. And this is the ever-changing and ever-evolving areas of law. Right. The legislature, they have AIDS. They have failed to change the laws regarding sentencing, in specifically in these child pornography cases. Supreme Court, yes, they do have AIDS, but their responsibility at all is to justify some of the ide- ideologies that the justice already has, mm-hmm. not necessarily change what they what they already have. Of course, they use them as a resource as to what you were saying earlier about, hey, get me up to speed real quick. But let me tell you, that conversation is not extended or is not in depth. It's just, okay, get me through this case so I can get to the next one. Sure. So 
that's why I'm saying there might not be a clear understanding of things because they haven't had the experiences we've had. Just as Clarice Thomas is older than my own father, and you know, for me. And it's a very different world that my dad always tells me that we live in today. And I can only imagine how different it is for him. Sure. And so all I'm saying is if we do do that and set that term limit, then we allow for new blood to continually go through the courts and make sure that our the pulse of our courts remains vibrant and that it stays up to speed where society is. Right. But, and the, but that's the generalization of saying they don't know how to use this technology and things of that nature when they may very well be very adapt to it. We we can generalize and say, yeah, because you're old, you probably don't know how to do this. But I've seen some some older folks. My mama's 70, my pop's 70, my mama can use technology and the new stuff better than me half the time. Again, I would like to see, like I said, I don't want to see an age limit out, but I would like to see cognitive function. Can, are you, how are you functioning? Are you understanding? Are you grasping? Do you know what this stuff is? Are you there? And if yeah, you're not... But the tricky ground with that right there is how do you do, how do you determine who has cognitive issues? How do you determine... You test them all. I mean, but what does that test look like? Yeah. You, I mean, you yeah, can, but what is the test? What, what test am I handing the justices to say you take this test so right. you determine how cognitive you are? What, what test am I giving them? Yeah, there's already tests out there to do that function. So you can have doctors, you can have psychologists, you can have whoever come up with the test and be like, yo. So there is no, the, you're saying come up with a test. I said there's tests already out there. I and know, and if you don't like that test, you can have them come up with a test that you would like. There's tests already to test that cognitive function, but if you feel like it should be better, if you feel like it should be harder or more intense, you can create that test. Nothing says you have to use a prescribed test already. And, and who you, enforces that this? You couldn't, that would be the role of Congress. So then Congress is then The role now, of Congress and the president. That can be deemed as discriminatory for age because you're making, you're requiring somebody at a certain age to take a cognitive test just because of their age. I'm not requiring anybody because of their age. I'm requiring you every year if you're on the Supreme Court to have that test done because we know how all time is considered in any age. So every year, every everybody's year. taking a test. Every year. Just so like you, we're taking just a cognitive like you do your, test every single year. Just like you do your physical, you're supposed to do a physical every year to see how you're going. Right. Your mental faculties can change within the year. So yes, if you're going to be on here and you have the role to make these decisions, instead of just saying you old, you need to move, you're saying, look, let's see what your what your brain's working. With. And so cool. from when the psychologist you take the test and you fail, for instance, are you allowed to appeal those decisions that were or get a second opinion? I think you will allow just with anything, give them a second opinion. It's not a one strike you out. Okay, you want a second opinion? Okay, so the second opinion comes out good, then what? Then the president can make the decision. Just the like president the, does. The president or Congress to the president appointment, right? <laughs> so the decision can be made. You can have it between the president, you can have it between the Senate, you can have it, have it however. So to make we're, that decision we're setting say, hey, this look. up to say that if a Republican president was in place and a Democratic, a Democratic appointed justice was deemed to be cognitively unavailable for the court and they fail the test, mm -hmm. they take another test, okay. pass the test, you're telling me that the president then says, 
hey, Democrat, I'm going to make a decision to say whether you get to stay or go. If you want to, you can have after the second test is done. Because <laughs> mind you, you're asking me this on the spot, right? So this is not anything. I know, but. This is not. No, no, this is not anything I pre. situation you're creating. I'm not really because it's not pre-thought out. So if you want to sit down and flush it out, you can do that and say, okay, if you want, you can have a panel of doctors. After the two tests, have a panel of doctors who have, you know, political leanings should be out the window. I know how that goes, but for every other panel they do, they're like, this is a non-partisan, yada, yada, whatever. Leanings are out the window and say, looking at these two tests or these data, this is what we come up to and then look they can pick a new person or if they're still functioning and going because why limit it to 70 if you're going through alzheimer's before then or some mental function before then and you don't want to get out you can't make me so i'm gonna hang on until whenever exactly that's right. where the problem is we can't but but be, be, but i'm done it if it's before 70 you still can't that's why i said every year do that test see how they're doing and move it forward and if they're declining on to the next if they have health issues they should do a physical and a mental test if they're having health issues and they're declining yo move on to the next word do your health and let's not do this and so I, I think you can do more than just say an age i'm not comfortable with that i'm comfortable saying let's see how you're functioning right. mentally and physically right and then we can make a decision based off of that well just for reference there are 32 states that require at least some judges to require at a certain age which is usually between 70 and 75 mm -hmm. so we can say the majority of the states here in the union do agree that there is an age requirement should be in place to, like I said, to keep the blood vibrant in the court. For their states, yes. I, but these are for the highest courts of the state. Of the state, yes. I, and, again, and the, and this I understand what I, I know, but the federal government is a, is a conglomerate of mm -hmm. all the states. I'm aware. And so from a state perspective, the states have already said, for majority of them, hey, this works. So what I'm saying, if they took it to a federal level, I don't see it being a huge issue because majority of them already have something like that in place. I say check their functions, man. Don't push them out because they owe. They what? have value. I didn't say they don't have value. That's I'm what just they're saying. saying. No, I didn't say you. I didn't know. And they didn't say they didn't have value either. That's that, what they're that, telling them. That's not what they said at all. That's what they're telling you. No, no, they you, did you not. You can't do this job. They did anymore. not say that at all. That's what they're telling you. No, it's not. And that's not what they said at all. As a matter of fact, they're saying, and it actually came to the Supreme Court that said that the mandatory age requirement is not unreasonable, and it does ensure that the bench continues to be revitalized. Mm -hmm. So even the Supreme Court didn't believe that. It was because they're trying to shoo them out. They're just doing it, just like I said, to keep the blood vibrant and the pulse of the court. Test them. No, I don't. Like I said, I, I think you're setting yourself up for failure, and maybe that needs to be flushed out some more. Sure. <laughs> I just said that. It though, is, right? right, but you, again, you're doubling down on something that you haven't even tested out yourself. <laughs> and I can do that. Be like, yo, we because any policy that's made, you kind of do that. Of you start with the idea. You that's flush what we do. The AIDS. <laughs> you flush it out. You I wish that's the what the aides are for. You flush it out and say, let's make this work. Right. Speaking of Clarence Thomas, you know, his wife is in the midst of the January 6th committee investigation. So, allegedly, Virginia Jenny Thomas. Is it Jenny, right? Am I saying it right? Okay. 
They have possession of 29 text messages that show her pleading with then White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows mm-hmm. to continue the fight to overturn the 2020 presidential election. So you're probably saying, okay, she was texting him in support of what he was doing. But where the issue lies is, of course, her husband is on the Supreme Court. And this matter has been before the Supreme Court. I believe he was the only dissenting opinion he was. in one of the challenges of the election. I think, honestly, it's a conflict of interest. It is. A lot of politicians and other academics have come to the forefront and are saying that Justice Thomas should recuse himself. Yeah. And, of course, the reason being is because of the conflict of interest that I brought up a moment ago is, hey, your wife is affiliated with this whole thing. More than likely, the decisions that he makes will be in a position to protect his wife in, in whatever capacity. Now they want to question her with the January 6th committee to find out her involvement in things of January 6th. There's been judges who have recused themselves before. I know that Kagan has recused herself and other justices have recused themselves because of a conflict of interest, right? And even with the Supreme Court, it doesn't have to be a conflict of interest. It can be something that will look like it's a conflict of interest. Even though you may have nothing to do with it, it can be have that look of it's a conflict of interest. They're supposed to recuse themselves. The problem is there's no oversight for that. It's up to the justices right. to decide to be like, nah, I'm, no, I'm good, or hey, this may look look like a certain way so i'm gonna step down because i want this ruling the decision of the court to be respectable and that folks and folks not wondering about that right right yeah there's folks on the republican side who are defending justice thomas and saying well he's a stand-up guy and this that and the third but if you're making a ruling about something your wife is involved in Right. The only way it can be much more of a conflict of interest is if he was directly involved himself. Correct. So, you know, it's just part of that game that's played uh, at, at a certain point. You, you want to see the politics gone from this. Yeah. And folks saying, you know what? This isn't right. Even if they want to say he doesn't have a conflict of interest, it looks like he has a conflict of interest. Right. And that's enough to bring doubt and questions about how he's ruling, why he's ruling, what his thought process is. Right. More than likely, she's talked to him about it. Right. I recently saw Senator Elizabeth Warren having a discussion about the need for there to be some code of ethics Mm -hmm. for the Supreme Court, specifically the Supreme Court nomination hearing, Judge Jackson was asked a couple of times about whether she believes there needs to be a code of ethics for the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Of course, she didn't answer that question because she wanted to convene with the other justices on the bench before she would make a decision like that. Right. But a code of ethics, if that were in place, that would spell out exactly in what situations that you do need to recuse yourself. Currently, the Supreme Court doesn't have a code of ethics, so they really don't have any guidelines in which they would conduct themselves. Over the years, it's just been, hey, y'all just do what's right and we'll go from there. Right. Should there be a code of ethics? Like any other job that's out there, there is parameters and guidelines that you have to go by. I'm Mm -hmm. guaranteed there's a company handbook, a company policy book that you have with whatever business or employer that you have. Mm -hmm. There isn't anything except Article 3 of the Constitution and that's it. Outside of that, there's nothing to tell how the justices must act while on the bench, even while off the bench. There has been, I think, some parameters in place. Well, no, I don't even think that because, matter of fact, one of the things that Senator Warren also brought up was the fact that, hey, a justice could have stock in a company that's before them. So, for instance, 
let's just say the widget company had a case before the Supreme Court, mm-hmm. a justice might have stock in that company. And she deems that as a reason why they may be biased in their ruling because they would have a ruling that would be advantageous for the company because that would, of course, help their stock. Is a code of ethics necessary? I think that there should be something in place to spell out what exactly they should be doing. There needs to be. And I think you've heard more of those conversations coming up in light of Jenny Thomas and Justice Clarence Thomas. Let's call it a situation. Their marriage and in the case that will be coming before them. There should be something that makes you have to recuse yourself. Now, I know one of the arguments that people make is that, well, if this judge recuses himself, what happens then? Because there's nobody that can sit in for them, right? Mm-hmm. So you now have a split decision on something. Well, if it's multiple judges, mm-hmm. now what happens? As you talk about owning stock in something and it comes before you, what if four of the judges, five of the judges own stock in that thing and they have to recuse themselves? If it's five, you got four judges that's going to make this decision. I know it, it. it's another one of the things that needs to be flushed out, but mm-hmm. they can't just be operating this way in the trust me, I'm going to do what's right agreement. It's It needs to be, yeah, you are going to have to recuse yourself. And I don't know if that means having a bench of backup justices to fill in or what that would entail. Right now, you just go with what you got. But yeah, you can't... Um, one, the, the, the people will not have any faith in the ruling that comes forward, right? Right. So there's something that needs to be done with that. Mm-hmm. They got to figure that out of how that's going to work. Because, again, it's one thing if it's one, all right, that might be workable. But if you have multiple justices that have to recuse for whatever reason, how do you now make a decision? Right. Well, I guess since we've been talking about the court, let's just roll on into the legal minute. If you have your Trump criminal bingo card, I guess you can update a little bit. So the House committee is investigating the January 6th riot at the U.S. Capitol, as we all know. And they are referring former Trump aides Peter Navarro and Dan Scavino to the Justice Department for criminal contempt charges. The committee voted 9-0 to to send the recommendation to the House. The panel consists of seven Democrats and two Republicans. The panel's vote pays the way for the House to vote on whether they should be referred to the Justice Department for a misdemeanor that carries up to a year in prison and fines up to $100,000. They are basically being charged because they defied subpoenas from the committee demanding that they testify and turn over documents relevant to last year's attack that disrupted the 2020 electoral count during a joint session of Congress. Also, according to the reports, Navarro and Scavino have cited executive privilege as a reason for not cooperating with the panel, arguing only former President Donald Trump can waive that privilege, even though President Joe Biden already has. Allegedly, they played a key role in the ex-president's efforts to turn over the 2020 election. How are you going to say only somebody who's not in power can overturn this? Right. Yes. (sighs) <sighs> it's so exhausting sometimes. <laughs> but look, we'll just keep it rolling. Mm. So then a federal judge on Monday said that former President Donald Trump and right-wing attorney John Eastman mm-hmm. may have been planning a crime as they sought to disrupt the certification that we just talked about. So the judge said, based on the evidence, the court finds it more likely than not that President Trump corruptly attempted to obstruct the joint session of Congress on January 6, 2021. 
The federal judge, he's in California, so this is Judge David Carter, he ordered Eastman to turn over 101 emails from around January 6th, that time frame, that he tried to keep from the House committee that's investigating the U.S. attack. The judge's reasoning is a surprising acknowledgement by a federal court that Trump's interest in overturning the election would be considered criminal. He also revealed details about the emails the House is seeking and even calls for more investigation. The judge is saying, hey, the illegality of the plan was obvious. Eastman's attorney said that he intends to comply with the court's order that has yet to be seen. We have a judge basically pleading for accountability because he believes that if they're not held accountable, it could happen again. They have to be held accountable. Um, Right. In some way, shape or form. It should be more than just this January 6th committee happening. I think people are glad it's happening. Right. They don't have any teeth behind a lot of the stuff they're doing, the subpoenas and whatnot. Absolutely not. And, yes, but and they're so trying. They're trying. If it was DOJ-led, there would be some teeth behind this. Right. Yeah, there needs to be held some accountability or some accountability held behind this. You know, well, it, it's another day, another story about them comes <laughs> out. we got burner cell phones being tossed about now, right. too. I mean, it's so much going on. But you know what? I don't want us to get fatigued from this situation because... I, the judge is right. There needs to be accountability for this because our country cannot risk this happening again. Not only risk it happening again, but being more extreme than it was last time. Sure. So Not um, just our country, but countries we're allies with. True. For them to continue to have faith and trust and for the United States to continue to be that world power that it wants to be or world leader that it wants to be. That's the kind of stuff you hear happening in third world, second world countries, right? Right. We'll use that term. How can you have faith in somebody who's supposed to be the leader of the free world and you're having riots over your election process? Right. And that's very true. And that, I think that some of the critics of democracy have said the same thing already. How are y'all going to hold other countries accountable and you can not even hold your own people accountable? Yeah, that's a very interesting perspective, but also a true perspective in some accounts. But last but not least in this legal minute, yeah, yo, we've been on him for the past couple minutes, but this blew my mind. Okay. Like other stuff hasn't blown my mind, right? <laughs> so former president Donald Trump, again, filed a federal lawsuit on last Thursday against Hillary Clinton, his former Democratic foe in the 2016 campaign, saying that she falsely tied him to Russia during the presidential campaign. The lawsuit names a wide cast of characters that Trump has accused for years of orchestrating a quote-unquote deep state conspiracy against him, including former FBI Director James Comey and other FBI officials, the retired British spy Christopher Steele and his associates, and a handful of Clinton campaign advisors. The lawsuit was actually over 108 pages and is using this to, again, attack the Clintons, or specifically Hillary Clinton, in alleging that, hey, he had no tie to Russia. I don't know why y'all keep putting that up, you know, putting that on him. Mm-hmm. Basically, I, I don't know. I, I haven't read this lawsuit. I am interested now in reading it. I guess he's claiming that she defamed him in some capacity and with her quote-unquote fabricated information. Yeah, there's... I don't know. Uh, I mean, quick glance. <laughs> There's some inaccuracies in the lawsuit. Some? That's what the article said. Okay. I, I'm reading it said some inaccuracies. Now, how many is that some? And right. the definition of some? To be determined. Right. 
since we're in the legal minute, I think it's the lawyers like this that give y'all a bad name and rep, right? Why? In the aspect of this case really is a waste of time. And I, I think a lot of folks look at it as there's a lawyer that will file anything or do anything. And he's known for not paying people, but whatever, would do anything for a buck. I think when folks see these, as many legal experts have said, a frivolous lawsuit is one of the, and it's just for political clout. He don't expect to win this at all. I mean, I don't know if it's a question of whether he expects to win this. I think that you you have to remember with Trump, he does a lot of his things for publicity, and he's a person that thinks any publicity is good publicity, whether negative or positive. Speaking to the fact of, hey, a lawyer will file anything, well, you have to remember from the other side, a client will ask for a lot of things. And just like Judge Jackson was saying during her hearing, uh, when they asked her about one of the cases she was on, you know, everybody is has a right to diligent advocacy. Hey, this is 108 pages worth of diligent advocacy in this case. I don't necessarily feel like it's necessarily the lawyers. I do feel like they have a client that is hard to manage. But with that said, in some capacities, I don't know how he's paying or if he's paying. I'm not in his pocketbooks like that. The question is, for him, what is his motive? Just recently, he's asked Putin to give him dirt on Hunter Biden. So, of course, a lot of things, to me, are starting to flare back up from a political standpoint. Mm -hmm. And him trying to attack his opponents again. Right now, it's Hunter Biden and Hillary Clinton and the cast of people, again, that uh, he feels are conspiring against him. Um, But who's to say who's next? He's... Doing this for that political clout of keeping his name out there, staying strong with his base, because his concern is that the scientists coming after his base. Correct. And, of course, he needs them to push him forward and keep him relevant. He knows win or lose this lawsuit. I'm telling you, I think he knows he's going to lose it. And losing it is more to his advantage for him than winning it. Right. Because he gets to now paint his narrative of, oh, see how they do me wrong. The justices are are crooked. The courts are crooked. You need to have me back so we can put good people back up in the courthouse, this, that, and the third. This is really just to give him that talking points that he want and mm-hmm. to get that base riled up at the mouth and foaming and still showing him, hey, look, he's still going after Hillary. He's tough. He always said he would. And yeah. I don't think he plans to win this. I think this is just that political theater. Uh-huh. I get my talking points that keeps me out there. Because he's, look, he does these campaign rallies still, right? Uh-huh. It's no campaign. Right. He's doing campaign rallies but in remember, different states. He's He has to be seen. But remember, he also has a cash cow that is believed, alleged, to be coming from Russia. They did fund a lot of his campaign. They do allege that he is involved with money laundering for some of the oligarchs and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. From all his different Trump towers and things and the different properties that he owns. So I can see this as a means of appeasing to not only his base, but appeasing to his purported allies of saying why would you say these things that I would be affiliated with Russia and make these negative or um, connotations with my association with this country Mm -hmm. let me attack the same the very person who is might be public enemy number one 
two or three <laughs> out there in Russia so I can put this on public display. And nine times out of ten, this is being used as a soundbite in their propaganda out there. Mm-hmm. So they are already putting the story that Hillary Clinton is that public enemy to see that a former president is suing her after, of course, she didn't get elected into that position. Right. They could say, hey, he might have some muster up under what he's saying. And let's believe Putin in his stories that he's telling the public. Yeah, I, I think Putin uses him as a puppet. But, I mean, I get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. It, you know, this makes me wonder, if he wasn't banned from social media, I don't know if he'll be doing some of the stuff he's doing. Because he would be able to, he would have an outlet. I, part of it is shock value, but I still think he would do the same thing regardless if he has social media or not. I think because some of it. Because at some, at, in, in the social media world, you do know at certain points, we can get fatigued. I think that as, remember during his presidency, people were getting tired of it. And I think that he would have done the same thing because this provides shock value. When I saw it, you know, as a headline that he's suing Hillary Clinton, of course I clicked it. Of course I wanted to find out what was going on about with this lawsuit, even though even from the headline, I knew he would lose. Mm-hmm. But it's the fact that he's in the headline. Sure. He I, doesn't care. I'm not saying he wouldn't do he wouldn't do this. I'm saying he wouldn't do all of what he's doing. I think there would be a cutback on some things because he would have his outlet to reach his, his base or whatever. And I'm not advocating for him to come back on social media or social media to allow him back on their platforms. But it's just a thought of what if. So, hey, let's get off the topic of politics and let's move on to something everybody's talking about. Sunday night was a crazy night. Put it that way. So, as you know, on Sunday night was the Oscars. It was a beautiful night. It started off that way. Will Packer, he produced the mm-hmm. show and hired an all-black staff to help him produce that show. Right. They did a phenomenal job. It was a beautiful, of course, set. The show, for the most part, ran smoothly. Everybody looked beautiful and everything that was there. Before we go into what happened <laughs> that night, let's just, you know, shout out some of the winners from the night. Of course, we had Ariana DeBose. She became the first openly queer Afro-Latina actress to win the Best Supporting Actress role for her portrayal of Anita in West Side Story. And then we had Questlove. It was his first nomination and win for Best Documentary Feature in Summer of Soul. The big winner for the night. And, of course, this topic of discussion. Before you get into that, you did leave off. Oh, I'm sorry, Samuel L. Jackson. I mean. Right. He did receive his first Academy Award. What was his award for? It was an honorary Oscar for his career in movies. There you go. And Denzel presented to him. The downside, it wasn't televised. And I think of anything, any award should have been televised. Me personally, because I'm a Sam fan. Right. I feel like this should have been televised. Because, look, he's done more movies than probably anybody. I think he has a record for it. If you see a movie going, you, you, you're surprised when Sam's not in it, right? Mm-hmm. Especially if you see a black person. Like, is that Sam? Nope, it's not Sam. So you're surprised when he's not in it. It would have been great for, I think, the world to see him get this honor and recognition, but whatever. Right. Well, there was a Pulp Fiction reunion there at the award show. And, yes, they did do their dance and everything else from Pulp Fiction. John Travolta and Uma. She was also joining Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta on stage for that Pulp Fiction reunion. 
But another winner for the night was, of course, Will Smith. Yeah. He won Best Actor for his role as Richard Williams in the movie King Richard. But that's not what everybody's talking about. Everybody's yeah. talking about him coming, him, Will Smith, being offended by a joke by Chris Rock. So Chris Rock made a joke about Jada Smith's hair, mm-hmm. correlating it to G.I. Jane. After that comment was, or that joke was made, Will Smith walked on stage and slapped Chris Rock, this happened, of course, on live TV, and then proceeded to go to his seat and yell some expletives, we'll put it that way, back at Chris Rock to basically not to talk about his wife. Mm -hmm. It was shocking. Yeah. It was a moment that we were all surprised at his reaction of how it happened. Of course, since the event has happened, Will Smith has issued an apology. I will say it was 23 hours later, but he did issue an apology to Chris Rock. During his acceptance speech, however, he did apologize to the Williams family and also the Academy as well. He did during his speech. Mm -hmm. Um, Jada Pinkett, she posted on Instagram that basically this is a time for healing. And I think a couple of days before the Oscars, she mentioned that, hey, I don't care how people feel about my hair. It is what it is. I like it. It's cool. Chris Rock has been silent, which I don't feel like he does need to say much. But of course, we'll go into that in a minute. And the Academy has convened to discuss if there will be any consequences against Will Smith and even included their code of conduct that they have in place that states that if someone acts in a manner that, uh, what is it called? Unbecoming? Uh, yeah, know. unbecoming, I guess, is the word, uh, one of the uh, synonyms for it. But um, whatever terminology that it was in their rules, they're basically saying that anybody that has any actions that are don't represent the Academy in the best light can be either removed, suspended, or their membership being revoked. There's a lot of conversations going on about this. Mm-hmm. Very divided conversations. In some circles, it is Will Smith was justified because he was defending his wife's honor. Then you have the other side that's also looking at the fact of decorum, whether it was a time and place for it. I guess, I think I've said a lot already. But I'll sure. let you weigh on it. Sure. This uh, has... Look, there's been social media think pieces written about this, right? People have gone from being war experts to an expert on this, and they'll be on to the expert of whatever else comes up next. It is, it's definitely been a touchy conversation. I've seen people say they've lost friends from their thoughts of this, and by lost friends, it was social media friends, so who knows what that really means, right? Right. Yeah, it's it's a it was and is a touchy and hard subject because folks are so divided on this. And even when you hear people have this conversation, there's layers. It's always layers to this. Where I think I've never heard a black and white or just a, a simple cut argument one way or the other. There's always layers to it, and I think you have. For the most part, I guess I'm learning that there's a lot of people who just hate Chris Rock. I always thought he was funny. And, and Yo, cool. I love Chris Rock. But I've seen folks who just say, I can't. I'm like, what? Chris Rock ain't do nothing to nobody. And so you see some camps who get torn or who are, are digging their boots of in the ground of who they want to support. I'm in the camp of, I just want more information. And, and that's my thing because... I know, and it was Tyrese who had put out a statement saying that, you know, this lap was years in the making. And so apparently there's, I don't know, there's I had always been rumors that there's some kind of beef or tension between them. I don't know. 
I want, I'm in the camp of I need more to really help make this make sense because it went from zero to 100 real fast. Real fast. And I think that's where a lot of people's confusion of whether it was real or not, because a lot of people have had the conversation with, was that even real? Right. Because I think when it happened, we were all, of course, in a state of shock. You know, Will Smith's mother has even come out that said that she's never seen him react the way that he did in this situation as well. Mm-hmm. I think what was interesting in Will Smith's apology that he put out there was that this kind of comes with the territory of of being able to take a joke. And I look at him and I'm just saying the same thing. Well, let's go back to the equality discussion. I mean, your wife's in the same profession that you are. Isn't that the same expectation that she would have if you are an actor and this comes with your job? Why wouldn't the same thing apply there? Even so, it was a G.I. Jane joke. And if you remember, if you haven't seen the movie G.I. Jane, it was Demi Moore. She was portraying a strong woman who was basically beating up the bad guys and everything else and was the kind of superhero, not kind of, she was a superhero of the movie. So, you know, Chris Rock wasn't equating her to a derogatory person or a derogatory being or anything. It was honestly to a character that was really respected. So I I think, of course, the connotation was taken that, hey, he's making fun of her alopecia, which has already come out now. That Chris Rock said, hey, I had no idea that she had alopecia. It's very interesting of his reaction. If you read his book, Will Smith's book, he talks about some of his trauma trauma and how he copes with that trauma and some of the things that he does with that trauma and one of the coping mechanisms that he used even caused him to hallucinate about killing his own father who is now deceased but he talked about that in his book being the fact that his mom has never seen her son react that way i'm wondering whether there was some kind of influence that he was under to make him act out in a manner like that. I mean, I've never heard of a story besides the fact that someone trying to kiss Will Smith of him slapping someone. So for him to even act out in this fashion, it's questionable. Sure. You know, to me, everyone is saying, well, Chris Rock, he should apologize. Of course, I'm sorry. I'm of the belief that he doesn't need to. I don't think, first of all, respect to Chris Rock for keeping the show going. Respect to Chris Rock for, you know, not fighting back. Because I think with a lot of people, if Will Smith would have slapped him like that, there would have been a whole tussle on stage. I really applaud Chris Rock for his restraint that he he showed. But I, I really just believe Will Smith, if he wanted to slap someone, August Alcina was out there doing a whole press tour. There's been plenty of other people that have made jokes about Will and Jada. Matter of fact, there were jokes made that night with other people. Mm-hmm. And he didn't seem to have a reaction. As a matter of fact, with this joke in particular, Will laughed at first. I just don't want I guess me I just don't want to believe that this was Will Smith acting as Will Smith there was an influence involved sure and I just don't want to believe that this was truly his reaction to this situation like I said I think there's there's the layers right I know folks have talked about the trauma that was in his childhood and stuff he's seen and went through and it could be a part of wishing he had done more younger and that came up Mm. Um, I've seen people mention but well he was laughing beforehand could have been carryover laughing from the first joke but we also know that when people are uncomfortable and trying to not make a scene or or, or just trying to go with it you laugh now not make a scene uh, let me finish (laughs) let me finish though it's one thing for, for you to laugh but if you see that hurt and pain on that person's face that you love that can cause another reaction there's a lot of people who are like yo say whatever you want to say about me i'll take it all day 
do whatever to me, I can take it. But if you touch one of my loved ones or whatever, that's where I'm going to have a problem. It could be that. I don't know. Like I said, it, it, it's it's a lot. It definitely didn't seem in his character, like his mom said, like you said, it didn't seem to be in his character of who he is and who he's portrayed to be. Whatever they got going on or he has going on, I hope get some help for it. Right. Uh, I mean, whatever that's he's what going Jada through. said. He said this is a healing season. Right. So, you know, hopefully, like you just said, he is getting some help. But with them, I will say, what does that healing mean? Right. And what does with that them. entail? What do you mean with them? With the Smiths? With the Smiths. Uh, they they <laughs> are they are a little different, and this is not any kind of disrespect to them. They are a little different. So what does that healing really entail? Right. I hope it's worked through. Now, Chris Rock will have material. He got a, a stand-up, actually, or he has a I'm comedy to tour go. that's going on. And, and, and the, the ticket prices went up, and I was trying sure. to go because... I was like, yo, I first of all I want to support Chris. I think he's a very funny comedian. He has he has done this for over 30 years. It's sad to say that in the 30-year career, the person that heckled you and got away with it was the winner of the night. And I think that's a part of people's frustration as well is had this been a white comedian that was on stage, would the Academy have acted differently? Would they have told Will, hey, you got to accept your award from the curb because you got to get out of here? Should the Academy have done more after this incident in protecting Chris? Sure. It, because remember, uh, well, also, and let me put this caveat in there, but I'm sorry. Remember that he was asked to press charges, Chris Rock. Right. was asked by the LAPD whether he wanted to press charges, and he declined. Sure. And, and the statement the Academy did put out, I will say that, that because his acceptance speech happened so fast after that, what they said was they couldn't get everybody together because they were all over the place, and trying to get them all together before that presentation went forward, it wasn't possible. Whether, look, I don't know how big that place was or what was going on or what, whatever. That's the story. Well, that's that's their story. Can of, I Can I just respond to that real quick? Sure. I would say to the Academy, y'all, just remember this is why the Me Too movement happened. Because assault can happen in plain sight and you still will make an excuse for it. I mean, seriously. This is exactly why the Me Too movement happened. is because the same people that are sitting in the seats to make a decision to protect somebody didn't do anything and makes an excuse for it every single time. And the thing is, Academy, y'all need to step up not only from the standpoint of protecting one of your own, your host that was there, but of course, protecting the actresses that are there that are also expressing concern over some of the directors, some of the staff that are there that have been subjected to assault and abuse. Sure. They got to do their job. I mean, look, a lot of folks need to, to, to get it together. That's a crazy <laughs> excuse. At the end of the day with all of this, it's there's a lot that needs to be done. But also, this is a lesson about etiquette and decorum. Okay, we all have been pushed to our breaking point at various places and spaces in our lives that may not be on a platform such as the Academy Awards, but they have been in places and spaces where you've had to put your issue aside to then find a place and space to address it. I'm all for a man protecting and upholding the honor of his spouse. I can appreciate that, and I, I, I don't want to put that down in the least. 
But what I will say is there's a time and place for everything. Was that the time and place to address that? No. Was that the space to address that? No. Could have been handled differently? Yes. And I think that as we look at for mates and partners, we have to ensure that not only are they protecting our interests, but they're protecting it in the manner that our interests are not going to be deflated because of their actions. I get what you're saying, and I think that's true most of the time. It's, it's I, I, I true really here. true. No, I, I, well, let me finish. It, I think it's true most of the time. I, I think when you're dealing with emotions and whatever else you're going through, time and place is no is no longer relevant. As we that, talked about, not- as we talked about, we don't know what he's going through or what's going on with him. You're not operating under your your normal faculties. Whatever flipped it off now. You're under your normal faculties. Yes, time and place is going to matter. But if something flips you off to that level, you're no longer thinking rational. And I'm not I'm not condoning when he did it or, or why he did it. I'm just saying, yeah, there's the thing about time and place. But when something really sets you off, there isn't going to be a man. Let me go talk to him back. It's I'm acting now. No. And and, and, and that happens. But it, we it's can't, not right. OK, but you can't set a precedent of saying that a person lacking self-control, which is basically what you just described, is someone is 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 justified. Like, no, that's what we teach kids from the beginning in elementary school ages. I'm teaching my child that for the past nine years of having self-control. And this is a display of not having self-control. These are the same sniffs that boycotted the Academy Awards and didn't want to show up because of lack of representation. Mm-hmm. And the time when you are invited there with a front row seat, this is the representation that you want to give? No. And also, let's also take it from the standpoint of Chris Rock and his career. What he does for a living. He is a stand-up comedian. People that heckle him at his shows get taken out and taken to the curve of where Will Smith should have been standing accepting his his trophy. My thing is, we don't want to set a precedent that, hey, Will Smith... He can lose self-control and he can just go slap somebody on stage and issue an apology on Instagram and it's cool. No, that's not the way it should be. I know that Kathy Griffin is someone that sometimes is extreme in her rhetoric, Mm -hmm. but she did make a valid point recently and it's a concerning situation for comedians. Because then it's all like, hey, if you don't like a joke, does that mean you can just come slap me because you lack self-control? No. Well, I, I think you're dealing with two folks who are friends, were friends. I don't know what that relationship is with now. And again, you know, he, something ticked and it happens. This isn't setting precedent because precedents have been set before people doing this. Was it on this national stage and platform? No. But was it still in places where they probably shouldn't be doing it? Yes. What stage? What what happened? You, Maybe you, I missed this incident. All I remember is Kanye taking Taylor Swift's mic. There's Kanye. I mean, there's been, you know, tussles. Like I said, it wasn't national, but there's been fights at Disney World all because of somebody did something. We had, you know, Boondogs did the whole thing about the N-word moment when folks shouldn't be, out, shouldn't be out there. So, I, like I said, this is not on that same stage of national level of all these people watching it. But precedents have been set about when something ticks you off. You're going to go off. I'm not condoning. I am not saying. So you're saying precedent is set so that, you know, precedent precedent means that it's it it justifies you. No, precedent means that this has happened before. This has happened before. It doesn't mean that it is right or wrong. So I'm like, they're not setting a precedence with this. Like, yes, there's been a precedent of incidents like this happening before. 
folks have joked this is like a real life boondocks n-word moment and you can say it was i'm seeing this as this is somebody with emotions feelings whatever went off and them went off and we do teach folks to check try to check your feelings control your feelings control your emotions and i think for the most part people are good with that there are times where something sets somebody off we don't know what it is we don't know what that breaking point is not saying that oh, okay you give them a pass and whatever they talk to lapd they've talked to defense attorneys and experts and they're saying well could they press charges if it was you or me or somebody regular charges would have been pressed whether that person wanted to press charges or not but because they are celebrities and has been done many times for them before they're like we don't want this headache now could LA County, their, their, their lawyer, I forget the title, could he come back and say, you know what, I want to try this case anyway to prove a point? Very well, he can. I believe it's a he. He can because it's in his purview. Do they need Chris Rock to agree to press charges? No, it's on camera. So there's that. Are celebrities treated differently? Unfortunately, yes. If it was you and me or you and somebody else or me and somebody else, we did that on camera on national TV. Would we have charges pressed against us? Yes, we would. Okay, and also celebrities are held to be role models. I've had a couple, and the reason why I felt this conversation was important is because I've been talking to some of my friends that are teachers. Mm -hmm. And the kids thought it was so funny and so cool that Will Smith walked on stage and slapped him. And you, you need to realize the impact of your actions, right. how they, these kids are watching you. And Will Smith is fully aware of that because if you scroll through his social media page, majority of his content is attracted for, toward a family-friendly audience. Mm -hmm. That's so his he knows who he was pulling in by being on that show. And so for him to react and do that and lack self-control is an issue. And now it's being glamorized by these children in thinking that, Oh, my idol just did that. It's okay. All I got to do is issue in a response and use the excuse of my girlfriend or my wife as a justification for my lack of self-control. And that is not the way society works. And that's why I just need like everyone to be perfectly clear. Yes, you did make the very very valid point of they are celebrities so therefore there are things that they get away with that normal people would not and this is one of those situations that if you try this on the street you will be on the street that's and i just it, it's just sad to see the trickle down effects of this and do mm, I, I, well, I'm not going to go into where the location of the school was, but do you know they're having uh, every single day this week so far? They have had a, 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 a kid slap another kid now? No, I haven't heard that story. Well, it wasn't a story. It's just one of the stories that I have heard personally mm -hmm. from the kids, and they just think it's funny because they will smith them. Right. And so my thing, again, is we got to get self-control. I think that this, is again, goes into the discussion of mental health, of making sure that you take care of your mental health because... They show you strategies, they being counselors, mm -hmm. will show you strategies and ways to control your emotions if you are in such situations. 
and you can delve into your previous issues so they don't become mountains to be to do the things right. that you've done. Right. That's the conversation that needs to be had and it hasn't been had. And I'm really disappointed of the fact that we aren't directing people to the correct resources to ensure that this doesn't become a phenomenon versus it becoming an isolated incident. Right. And that conversation isn't going to be had until, unfortunately, this dies down, plays out, whatever. No, this was an opportunity for it I to understand happen. that, but I'm telling you that it's it going to. It's that I understand that, but that conversation is not going to be had, unfortunately, until that happens, because folks are going to, look, you got a guy who already created a song from it, from what Will Smith said and what he did. You're going to have folks who are going to milk it and glorify it in the whole night, That's no matter, on is. all levels. So until this die down, yeah, that conversation, unfortunately. It's not going to die down. It, it's going to die down. Everything, like you said, is going to be moving on to something else. I know, I'm, I'm, I'm just it, saying like the... It will die down. I'm just saying the the shock of the whole situation and now the parody of the situation. Unfortunately, it definitely overshadowed the beauty of that night. It did. And the people that I feel most sorry for also is Venus and Serena. If you watch them during his speech, it wasn't a look of um, excitement. It was a look of, oh my God, what is he going to do next? It was almost holding their breath and just watching a man come on stage and having the audacity to compare their father to justify his actions, which I thought was even further crazy. Because Richard Richard. Williams, he came out and already said, hey, no, violence is not what I stand for at all. And it doesn't, this is not how I resolve things at all. Mm -hmm. While Will Smith came on stage claiming that I'm here, I protect my family and this is what I do, no. I, Venus and Serena, you could see this the the look on their face, like don't put my daddy in this. That was you. <laughs> don't don't do that. Right, and I think that his statements were stemming from that childhood trauma of he couldn't do anything before, and I think he felt like this is my time or something snapped. Which again. Go, Could be. go to a therapist. This is not for you to go on stage. I, he sh- Look, they all need to get some help. I, I, did, I, I, I what, what did Chris do wrong? They all need to get some help. What I'm, talking about, this, I'm talking about the Smiths. Oh, you said they. They you all need to get some help. They all need to get some help. Oh, yeah. They've been needing to get some help. They all need to get some help. Get the help they need. It's not sitting down at your table talking about Listen. what we feel or this, that, and the third. The same thing we tell Yay. Even though Ye is diagnosed, and I don't think he has been, if he has some kind of mental problem. Who is problems, he? Will. Oh, yeah. Will hasn't been diagnosed. Right. And so, right. right, if he has some kind of mental problems, he needs to go get that checked out and do what he needs to do. Right. So you don't have these outbursts again. And, right. And for some folks, there's people who think, like you said, he talked about there's different ways he's coped in his book. There's people who will think, I'm coping, I got this under control, and unfortunately, it you do until you don't. And you never know what that thing is that's gonna be that don't, especially if you haven't been getting any help or any treatment. And so, look, get the help you need so this don't happen again. Hopefully, by the end of this week or so, I know it won't, but people will move on to something else, and we can move on to whatever is gonna be the next thing. Like I said, I know it probably won't, but I can hope and let's move forward and, and be like, yo, end of the day, y'all get some help. Everybody leave their hands to themselves, get you some help, and let's keep it moving. Yeah, but we got to move out of here because, you know, 
we've been on here for a while. <laughs> but it's been fun, you yeah, know. Um, we, we, we can't leave about some black excellence. Oh my gosh, thank you. We, we can't end the show like... Like that. Yeah. Okay. Please. Right. So, let's take some black excellence. Hold on just a moment. The first black woman has been named Miss Milwaukee. A Mar- She's actually a Marquette law student so shout out to her. her name is jada davis she grew up on the north side of milwaukee never thinking she would be one she would one day represent the city on a statewide platform she will also be competing in the miss wisconsin competition that is coming up she is involved in the milwaukee community having served as a law clerk and former dance instructor for the boys and girls club she's also volunteered for many organizations including the milwaukee justice center the Marquette Volunteer Law Clinic, the YWCA, the Black Youth Alliance, and the Unity Gospel House of Prayer. So congratulations to her and best wishes to her as she moves on and competes at the Miss Wisconsin competition. Yeah, you go, girl. She said she was that awkward kid growing up. Mm -hmm. She had to learn to embrace her awkwardness. Right. If that's you now, Mm-hmm. It won't always be that way, right? So just love you for who you are. Embrace yourself. Don't run from yourself. And make it work for you. Right. Speaking of Miss Wisconsin and the Miss USA competition, the Miss USA pageant is now offering mental health resources to participants following the tragic death of Chesley Christ. If you are not familiar, she was the former Miss USA and she committed suicide in January of this year. The Miss USA pageant is now more committed than ever to providing mental health support for its contestants and winners, especially after the tragic and untimely suicide that we just mentioned a moment ago. They will offer competing contestants access to mental health workshops and mindset preparation via the Crystal Stewart Foundation. The initiative's goals are to help pageant participants feel more mentally suited to tackle public and press engagements and provide them with coping mechanisms for when their mental health isn't at their best. I'm glad they're doing it. It's always terrible that it takes something tragic for something like this to happen. Mm-hmm. I think they're, they're, it's good that, once again, that they are doing it. I know you said they'll, it'll be offered to competing girls, right? Right. I, I would hope they would expand it to even after the competition, especially since hers were, wasn't... Well, she said not only comp- competitors, but winners as well. Winners as well, but I mean, right. but, but so even after, though. So after you won and you moved on, I would hope they still would offer some for them. Well... In their statement, the pageant contestants and winners may feel anxious, overwhelmed, or depressed throughout various levels of competing and in the aftermath. Okay, so yeah. So they are um, including that in their resources that they're providing to them. Cool. Then yeah, you know, it's a good thing. I think it's a good way to honor her. I know she was your friend and, you know, they're there doing something to honor her and that's great and I I hope it brings more people forward to talk about what they are going through Uh, if anything uh, or even if you don't feel like you're going through something it it doesn't hurt to get out there and talk to that therapist because they can help they may find something that you didn't notice you know what I mean I I think I said that right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, hopefully that's clear they, they may help you recognize something that could have been eating at you and, and you just repressed it for whatever reason. And so it doesn't hurt to go get checked up. That's all. Yeah. But and last but not least, 
Talk about lost and found. Al Joyner, who is the husband of the late Flojo. Remember the track star, Flojo? Mm-hmm. Long um, nails. Yes. Colorful. I loved her growing up. Oh, my mm. gosh. She was on the Cosby show. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. He recently bought, yeah, he recently bought the mil- me- memorabilia. Can I get that out right? He, re- he recently bought the memorabilia from the host of Bargain Hunters. It was kind of crazy because in 2014, a guy named George, he acquired a storage locker in San Diego that once belonged to Flojo. He sold some of the memorabilia to a thrift shop and later that was found to be some of Flojo's items in the storage unit that was, like I said, acquired. Before I go into that, do you watch the show? Storage Hunter Storage? What is this? What's the name of the show? Storage Storage Wars. Wars. I don't watch the show. I used to. Okay, so what is this show about? So basically, they follow four or five different people or teams or whatever. Uh They go to storage units and Uh they bid on them because you either find treasure or it could be junk. Basically. So these storage units have been abandoned by the owner. Right. Well, abandoned. Okay. They didn't, they failed to pay. So they're up for auction. Okay. And it, it's a thing of, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll try to get it. Some of them resell it. Some of them collect it. Most of them are reselling valuable stuff in thrift stores and things of that nature. So mm-hmm. reportedly in this unit or the storage facility wherever it was there were some rare photos and magazines that featured her one of her track satin NBC Olympic jackets a batch of autographed Barbie dolls and a pair of cleats she wore when she set Olympic and world records for the 100 meter and 200 meters respectively at the 1988 Seoul Olympics where she secured three medals for the United States wow her, her husband, Al, of course, is back in possession of this because actually, Ms. Hoda, who I think is again the host of this show, who mm-hmm. actually got that memorabilia back, mm-hmm. opted to hold off to sell it on eBay and made a deal with Joyner for him to get the stuff. Wow. Currently, ironically, there is a biopic that's actually in the works. And the lead, guess who it is? Um. Tiffany Haddish. <laughs> she is going to be the lead and actually going to play Flojo in the movie. Hey. Yeah, I'm happy that he has this piece of history, but no more than that, the memory and um, the good times from his wife. Yeah, I'm glad he didn't go OJ on Renee. Hmm? You know, OJ got busted for trying to steal back. His... Oh, well, I was just thinking about the part of his wife. Yeah, no. I'm, okay. I'm glad he... Let's say did it the right way of of getting the stuff back. I'm glad the family got the stuff back. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would have sold it to him. Like I probably would have gave it to him. I, yeah, I, that kind of. Mm, I mean, yeah. I, I've seen the show and I get it. Dude paid a pretty penny, probably mm-hmm. for the storage unit. And right. Once. But he sent it to he sold it to the pawn shop. So I I don't know. I don't I, know. I thought he didn't sell it to the pawn shop. I thought he was going to do it on eBay or do another auction thing, but he talked he, to the family and was like, I'll sell some of this stuff to you directly. Uh-uh. So that's what told TMZ he recently bought the memorabilia from George, the owner of Bargain Hunter's thrift store, mm-hmm. thrift store yeah. um, after he acquired the locker. So the guy that owned, I mean, that had the locker owned a pawn shop or a thrift store, and she, somebody bought it from the thrift store. And basically was trying to recoup probably what they paid thrift store for themselves. Right. And then once he bought it from the thrift store, he 
sold it sold to it Joyner. to Joiner, and that's right. what I'm saying. Uh, we're we're saying the same thing. We wish that it would have been different between that exchange, right? Right, but it wasn't directly from the storage unit to right. I, I mean, I understand he paid a pretty penny, and maybe you just reimburse. I may have asked just to reimburse what I paid. I don't know. Right, it might have been that. Uh, well, we uh, know. No, we know. He he put it out there. He says this wasn't charity. This is what Nazota said. He said this, this wasn't that charity. He's making a profit, or I'm making a profit. He says Al knows what I pay for it, and he's the only person that knows what I pay for it. I told him the profit I want to make. It's wow. like a track runner. You want to win. Wow. We, we worked out a deal where I can give it back to Mr. Joiner. Sometimes you don't have to max out and do the right thing. Wow. Joyner said he was very appreciative, and that's cool. He says Renee is great, and he knows the TV show and yada, yada. So, look, well, the family yeah. cool. They happy. But, yeah, I'm just saying, me personally, I don't know if it may be because I enjoyed watching her. I remember her running when I was little and the whole nine. Um, right. I, I don't know if I could have right. charged. I could have charged for it. Well, I don't know if I could have. Maybe A&E ain't paying him enough. Right, he needs some extra money. They ain't paying them enough. Well, I don't know. But like I said, he wanted to win. So that was his mission. But again, I guess this is the end of the show. So thank you for tuning in. It's been a pleasure to have another week with you, Mr. Banks. But of course, it's a pleasure to have this conversation with all of y'all. Yes. We have to remind you of our social media pages on Instagram and Facebook. We're at The Grapevine Talk. On Twitter, we're at The Grapevine ATX. You can catch the full show. So we have, of course, the abbreviated show that's on KAZI 88.7. Shout out to them. Thank you. But we have the full show that's on podcast platforms. They include Podbean, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, FM Player, Pandora, TuneIn, Listen Notes, and hopefully Apple will act right soon. Yeah, we want to, <laughs> you know what? I'm not going to say what I was going to say. No, no, um, no. We, we gonna, we'll handle it. We're going to do what's right. You know, as always, is a highlight of the week doing these shows with you and whatnot. So I'm always, it's always a fun time. It is. Even when we disagree, it's still love. I know, right? So, you know, it's fine. Happy birthday to my pops. His birthday was Monday. Happy birthday! We was out there celebrating his birthday, but uh, yeah, definitely happy birthday, pops. Can I give one birthday shout out to my My grandma's birthday is the first, so... It's tomorrow. I want to say happy birthday to my grandmother, Judy Lewis. Happy birthday. She's out in Mississippi. She's actually my last living grandparent. Hey, happy birthday. So, just want to wish her a very special day. I think that's all now. <laughs> but thank you for listening. Of course, you're listening to The Grapevine on KAZI 88.7 FM or online at KAZIFM.org. Again, it's been a pleasure. We'll check in with you next week. Bye.